Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. The goal of today's show, like every show, is to help you be a better Amazon seller, uh, understand uh, the e-commerce game, and um, you know what? Like, I've got a, a very special guest. Uh, you, many of you, maybe have heard of them. You should because I just went on the SellerRatings.com, and they're number one. They're at the top. I have with me the CRO of Pattern, John LeBaron. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Scott. Pleasure to be here. And um, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So CRO, let's unpack that. Um, what, what, what do you, uh, how, how long have you been with Pattern? And like, you know, what phases have you seen them go through? Yeah. So it's a pleasure to be this company is amazing. Uh, you'll note if you go to seller ratings that the number one seller today, as of today, is iServe. That was the name of the company when I joined it. Uh, we okay. rebranded the company, renamed it to Pattern, but we kept our seller name just because we didn't think anyone really cared. Um, and uh, Pattern, I don't think, was available anyway. So I think we just left it at, at iServe. Uh, but that was indeed the name of the company. I think there were probably 40-some-odd employees when I joined and I was hired as the first marketer. Uh, they had no marketing. And I told the CEO at the time, he found me on LinkedIn and reached out. And I just said, I don't think you need marketing. If you're doing $100 million in sales, uh, I think well, you're doing it right. So don't hire a marketer and ruin anything. And um, he disagreed. And anyway, long story short, I've been there for four years, as long as I've been at any company. And chief revenue officer is mostly just because you know CROs at most companies handle both sales and marketing. And that's what I do here at Pattern. And, uh, but it's kind of a dumb title because I actually don't oversee any revenue. I, I oversee all of the pre-sales motion um, of getting brands interested in what we do and signing contracts and actually buying their inventory. So there's actually an outflow of cash when we sign with brands because we buy their inventory. Um, and then it transitions to a post-sales motion of actually activating those brands, selling through their inventory and ultimately generating revenue. So that is done by our chief brand officer, Josh Barron. Yeah, so he probably should hold the title CRO, but uh, semantics, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I this I, I didn't really like. I, I know I've seen your guys' website before. That when you guys close a deal, you're you're also saying like, well, when we close a deal, we're also going to give you, you know, like a six figure like uh, check. We are going to like come with a big purchase order. Yeah, and I'm sure that helps. You know, like people understand actually what you do is you buy inventory and. Uh, and you're selling it and you guys target the, uh, the biggest brand partnerships in the world. Uh, how do you see the landscape and how do you, how do your brand partners like see Amazon and other marketplaces? Well, I mean, I think I see it as a tremendous opportunity to be honest. There's just so much opportunity is a $6 trillion global market. You know, you've got Alibaba in the mix. You've got certainly Amazon Global in the mix. You've got JD.com. You've got, you know, a lot of the periphery in there in terms of Mercado Libre and, and Lazada and, and other, you know, marketplaces, eBay even, and Walmart and Target and now Kroger. It feels like everyone, every retailer is introducing a new marketplace uh, as the weeks go by. So I think they look at it as a somewhat complex yet lucrative opportunity and, uh, and honestly, in a lot of cases, just a must have is, is to have a good brand yeah. presence on these marketplaces. Well, what about brands that like, uh, maybe like 
at some point in their leadership, they're maybe dragging their feet uh, going on to Amazon. They're uh, not quite the Nikes of the world, but like, you know, there's some uh, brands that are, have a lot of history and like they've succeeded on their own on uh, e-commerce, but like they see Amazon as maybe like, you know, they don't control it as much. Uh, so when you, when you come across someone that's driving their feet, like how do you uh, approach that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and you alluded to this earlier, like we don't actually sell anything, right? We buy stuff. And, and so it definitely changes the conversation with brands. And the mantra that I kind of have with my team is to be helpful, knowledgeable, and present and just staying in front of conversations. And sometimes you take years to kind of ultimately progress. And it's not my business per se to convince someone to do something that they're not ready. If they're not ready to be on Amazon, who am I to say that they need to be on Amazon, right? I think I look at it as a very consultative sale and help them understand the pros and the cons. Ultimately, if someone ever says I'm not on Amazon, I do a quick search and say, I think you actually are on Amazon. What now, the degree to which, you know, even Nike might say, I'm not, we're not on Amazon anymore. It's like, no, you're definitely on Amazon. Uh, you're just not represented well there because of the strategy that you've chosen uh, to go to market on that marketplace. Yeah. And so I think it's just mostly highlighting the pros, the cons. Uh, you know, our biggest brand, honestly, they were probably doing, I don't know, $13 million a year on Amazon when they came to us, let's call it six years, seven years ago, predated my time. Um, but they said, you know, we're thinking of this was a vitamin and supplement that was only distributed through doctors. And they said, I think we, maybe we should just get off Amazon entirely. Uh, because we don't, it's causing problems. And fast forward, you know, that I think that brand is now like the number four supplement brand on all of Amazon. And they're not widely distributed still only through doctors, but they have, you know, they're probably doing over $150 million a year on Amazon. So it's, uh, it's always helping, you know, think through what is the strategy you want to employ? What are the results you want? What do you want to avoid doing? And let's choose a, a path that ultimately kind of gets you closer to your goals. Um, yeah, so I think you hit it that like some people, what I was kind of saying, some people dragging their feet that also is just like, they just don't have a strategy. And so what that means is, um, you know, some random distributor out there could actually be doing their Amazon strategy for them without yes. their knowledge. And I can create all sorts of issues. Um, so, um, yeah, and you guys have a history of just of making of cleaning up channels for brands, yeah. um, and um, has that evolved over the years? It becoming easier, or has it actually become harder? Do you do you feel like Amazon is leaning towards uh, you know the brands and like their interests, or like uh, you know the world of sellers? Yeah, I would say. Um, the great thing about Amazon is that they are incredibly customer obsessed. And I feel it as an Amazon customer. It's easy for me to return stuff. It's easy for me to order stuff. It's easy for me to find stuff. So I feel that benefit as a customer. Uh, decidedly, brands are not Amazon's customers. <laughs> they don't, even though they quote unquote kind of help pay the bills. Um, if you are a brand, I would say you're very much like a second class citizen. Um, to Amazon. Yeah, I haven't found them to be crazy responsive to brands. I haven't seen them 
trying to lean in for brands, whether it's a on a margin conversation or a pricing conversation or a brand control or a counterfeit. You know, it's just not in their DNA. Their DNA is focus on the customer, uh, which are you know you and I are customers, but but not necessarily on the brand. And that has a lot of different ramifications uh, for the brand in terms of them deciding what they're going to do. So yeah, in terms of like just back to earlier question of dragging your feet. Um, there are a lot of reasons why a brand should not go on Amazon. And there are a lot of really good reasons why they should and just being super transparent around what, what those are and what they look like. Because the last thing, and just in terms of, you know, answer that question, it's very hard to put the genie back in the bottle. I don't see Amazon leaning in toward helping brands figure these things out, supply chain or control or returns. I mean, I was talking to this underwear manufacturing brand and, and she was like, man, I've, I've had these, all these crazy cases of Amazon shipping used underwear as new to customers. And it's just like disgusting. And it's like, you know, so, so they're not necessarily going to figure that out. Um, in terms of the marketplace cleanup, it all starts I mean, with the brand. For, for, the for brand. a customer obsessed company, the fact that like, this is like six, seven, eight years later from when that problem was like popping up. Yeah. Uh, like we, we've even had like a, um, one of my private label brands, we saw this like pancake kind of maker thing yeah, yeah. And, and it was delivered to someone and like, it actually had food inside of it. <laughs> but like, yeah, it was one of those like these little balls. Yeah. That you, you, you steam. I mean, like uh, their quality control, like I don't yeah. know, you, they the can, horror stories are real. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But if you have a clean channel and you go on Amazon, you're going to have a clean channel. If you have a dirty channel or a widely distributed channel, or if you have unauthorized sellers and then you go on Amazon, you're going to have the same issues. So I would say Amazon mostly magnifies whatever channel strategy you already employing um, for better or worse. So, um, you know, I, like, like we said, you, you guys were like in the top spot as of today. Um, yeah, um, but you guys also raised uh, a fair amount of money. Um, I would argue, I can make a very good argument that like, uh, pattern success, it's just like, it's, it's going to happen. It's like almost inevitable. You guys have, what is it? 500 employees. Oh, I wish, oh. Uh, I think we have 1200 employees at this point. So oh, really? Okay. I thought, I, I thought yeah. I overestimated. So yeah, like that many conversations, that many like things like, like you're, you're, you're going to grow and you're going to win, um, uh, like you know, good, good deals. But what were some of the early day successes back when you were at 40? Like what made pattern like stand apart from, you know, there are similar uh, people that sell in a very similar business model. Yeah. I mean, I just, I have to credit all our founders, you know, David Wright and Melanie Alder, you know, David Mel are just, if you've ever met them, incredibly genuine, authentic people. And, um, and I think they're always just trying to do the right thing by the brands. And I think that, you know, when I came into the world of e-commerce and it's not my background at all, but especially in the marketplace, like third-party sellers had a very bad reputation. And I would say in some cases they still do, but it was like literally like a dirty word. If you try to make a sales pitch and honestly, even like if you go to Expo West or you go to some of these big shows and you're like, hi, I'm an Amazon seller. It's like, I don't want to talk to you. It's like, give me, give me the Heisman. You know, no one wants to talk to an Amazon seller. Um, so just to answer your question, I mean, like incredibly 
partner obsessed. It's one of, that's like our number one core value of the company. We only have four and everyone knows the values, but like being partner obsessed. And I'll just give you a story to illustrate that. Like when, when, when they started, they started out as like an, any arbitrage seller, right? Dave and Mel did, they ran the company for like three or four years before they really decided to pivot to this model of brand control and profitability and acceleration. So they were selling, I think, insoles and they bought from a distributor. They chatted with the brand. They bought a bunch of inventory. They signed the map policy. And I think I did like 10,000 units or something like that. And first month, I think they sold one unit. And, and they called the distributor and they're like, hey, man, like, like these aren't selling. Everyone in the buy box is selling below the map price. And he's like, oh, I know it's this massive issue. We're trying to solve it. Um, just give us another month. And so another month goes by. They sell like two yeah. units. And they call again. Oh man, I, I promise. Like third month finally, and he's like, "Guys, we can't figure it out. We can't control it. Just fire sell it and sell it for whatever price you want, basically." And so Dave went back. You know, it's Melanie. Like, hey, I guess we just gotta like start lowering the price. And she's like, "No, we signed a contract. We would we would uphold map." And Dave's like, "Well, I know, but like, you know, the distributor we bought it from them and." They said we could lower the price. And she's like, we didn't sign the contract with the distributor. We signed it with the brand. And she's like, I'll just buy back all the inventory with my own money. So we're not out anything on the business. And Dave was like, I'm not going to make you like buy all the inventory. Like, let's just try to do that. Let's just fix it. And, and so that's what really pivoted. Like you talk about these businesses growing and on small hinges, like that, that A, that integrity and B, that inside of like, and so they went back to the brand not the distributor, they went to the actual brand of the insole and said like, hey, we noticed you have all these unauthorized sellers or people selling below map. If, if we could fix that with for you and with you, would that be like a thing? And they were like, oh my gosh, you'd be like our best friends, but you'll never fix it. We, we've been trying to deal with this forever and you'll, you'll never fix it. So that was back in whatever, 2015. Um, but I think that started down the path. And I would just say that other pivot was like, they, they started to create software to, to track unauthorized sellers and map compliance. But instead of selling it as software, they kind of said, hey, to really fix this problem, it's going to cost a lot. And I don't think brands are going to want to pay us $100,000 a month to fix this problem. But if we actually just buy on the margin and we're actually cutting them a check instead of having them cut us a check, uh, we actually think we can make it work. And that started down this whole yeah. you know, impetus of, of, of the evolution of the business. Yeah, um, I I actually didn't know that that's how they started. That's actually really cool because I bet you about a third of the people listening to right now uh, yeah. have had that same uh, thing where like yeah. signing that policy, you 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 start selling it. What you think is like, okay, these margins are great. You're not gonna work with this, and then like you know a dozen people undercut. Yeah. Uh, so that's really cool that like. Uh, they started just like every, uh, very much like everyone else. Uh, have so many, uh, you know, like resellers, but yep. leaned into like a problem that the brand was having. Um, that 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 is the early days. That that is their uh, probably their first success story. Um, so okay, let's. Uh, everyone likes to you know this uh, the title of this podcast like is is about Amazon. But, you know, there's more marketplaces out there. Um, what, in your opinion, are like some of the biggest emerging marketplaces outside of Amazon? Uh, 
Well, I mean, for sure, you have to look at China. I mean, I think Amazon did somewhere in the name different estimates on 21. Go ahead. I don't think anyone listening to this podcast has ever heard that answer. So I like, so, so it's not obvious to us. Like we, we, uh, people here in the States, we sell on Amazon. Sometimes we'll like dabble in uh, Walmart. I kind of don't recommend it uh, as, yeah, a, yeah. As, as a strategy, but like uh, what's, what's going on in China? Well, I mean, like just look at overall e-commerce penetration rates, right? Like before COVID, I think the U.S. was somewhere around 17, 18% um, of all retail sales going through e-commerce. Post-COVID, it's like 22%. So we fast forwarded in the U.S. 10 years. If you look at the curve, and I think Marketplace Pulse just came out with a graph of this, like the U.S. is supposed to be somewhere in the neighborhood, I think of $975 billion in GMV going through not just Amazon, but all e-commerce all digital platforms in the US, uh, which is up. I mean, that was that number was like 300 or 400 million just a couple of years ago. So it's 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 massive. And I think for every percent increase of penetration, like 3000 stores need to close. So yeah. you just look at like where that's at. That's huge. OK, well, China has a population that's like whatever, you know, uh, 4x the US or more. Yeah. Uh, but their e-commerce penetration is already 50 percent. So if the if the U.S. market from an e-commerce perspective is $975 billion, China's already like almost $3 trillion by itself. And Alibaba by itself is like $1.12 trillion in GMV. And the second biggest player in China, which is JD.com, which gives like six-hour six delivery across all of China, uh, or like 98% of China or something crazy. JD.com is like over 500 billion in GMV by itself. Now, when again, Amazon's 600 billion globally. So the number two player in China is almost eclipsing Amazon globally. Um, and again, those two account for, you know, over a trillion and a half dollars so of GMV. Why are, so why are, why are US-based uh, e-commerce sellers, why have I not heard, I knew that you guys had like a little bit of a presence globally and even like, uh, you know, even with JD.com, how come people don't talk about that here? Um, what, what, what's, or it, when should they, when they should be like, okay, you know, like, um, you know, when should Nike go to JD.com or like, let's not say Nike cause they have their own issue, but like, uh, yeah, yeah. well, when does that make sense? Oh man, such a good question. Well, I would just say like the reason that I bet you, you don't hear about it a lot is because like I said, there's somewhat of an antagonistic model, I would say, between the brands and the third-party marketplace seller community because so many of the sellers are what I would call arbitrage sellers. They're not truly partnered with the brand as part of their supply chain or part of their distribution network. They're literally like skimming off of the inefficiency of those networks and arbitraging it for their own gain, which is like, who am I to judge? But it's like, that's the, that's the reality. Um, China is no different, right? There are tons of, and you kind of like can't out arbitrage an arbitrager, um, I guess is my point. And so it's like, you know, China becomes pretty tricky. Um, and if you're a seller, I would say a lot of people are tapping into those marketplaces to try to bring new products to market on the U.S. marketplaces because you can source them more cheaply. So people are going to AliExpress or they're going to Tmall or they're going to Taobao or they're going to, you know, Lazada or whatever these Alibaba properties to try to source products and then bring it over here to the States and reskin it or rebrand it. But that, that opportunity is massive. It's just, you have to be very, very good. And then to answer your second question, you know, if you are an actual brand and you're trying to expand into China, 
Um, it can be a complete money pit or it can be like the best thing ever. And a lot of it just comes down to, you know, what is the substitutable products that are already in China for whatever you're doing? Because again, most of them were manufactured, whether it's chewing gum or whether it's energy, you know, or, or protein supplements or whatever, a lot of it is manufactured over there anyway. So it's not like you're going to bring something novel back, but um, if you have a very strong brand or if you have a lot of brand awareness, or if there's a lot of latent demand for the product that you sell and they're not substitutable products in region, um, that creates a massive, again, almost reverse arbitrage opportunity for you to go in and start to, uh, to, to really take some good share in those markets. Here's um, So I did an analysis once and uh, published some of our findings that um, in the private label space, you know, China does fairly well, except for like one or two categories. The category that, that they do the absolute worst on Amazon.com is grocery. Mm-hmm. Um, you could, you know, you think of like, uh, I'm talking like private label, like people that are like building their own brands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, d- I guess you'd probably have to be more of like a compliance expert. <laughs> um, but like, would that make sense for someone that's like in grocery where like, you know, when you, you've got like a, something's like really unique, there's a lot of IP in, um, in food. Uh, would that make sense to take that over to China? I don't know. I'm just trying to like uh, think this through and see where Americans may have an advantage or an entry point. Well, I mean, Americans definitely have an advantage in a lot of ways, because if you think about the e-commerce and the dynamics are just so different, right? Like you can't think of, you can't apply an Amazon playbook in China. Literally Amazon exited China. They're they're no longer there because they could not compete uh, for a number of different reasons. Right. So um, anyway, so I think you have to look at it less like, is there a category that would work and focus a lot more on like, um, you know, what is the actual dynamics of whatever you're trying to sell? So for example, we have over hundred employees, probably 150 employees in China today. We have three offices, we have bonded warehouses, like we're in it to win it in China. And, um, but like, I think 91% of all transactions that we sell in China include at least one customer service touch point. So that's like a dynamic in China that's like really, really crazy is people don't trust whatever you're selling uh, because they've been scammed so many times. There's so many knockoffs. People sell like fake eggs on Amazon. I'm like, how do you even like, how can you build a fake egg cheaper than a real egg? Like it just, it doesn't, it like boggles the mind. Um, And so people don't trust it. So that's what I'm saying. Like if you have a U.S. brand, it's inherently a little bit more probably trustworthy if they believe that you are in fact the owner. Uh, But there are all sorts of like trademark regulations. So what we start to look at is like, is there demand for the product? on Taobao, which is more of like a, a B2C type of um, social type network in China that has a ton of sales. Um, and then if you want to move over to kind of like the mainstream Amazon S, which is another property of Alibaba called tmall.com or jd.com, which is a competitor, you just need to make sure that like there are two main markets or two ways into the Chinese market. One is through domestic representation, you have like a domestic store, and the other one is cross-border. And cross-border is basically, you don't have to necessarily abide by all of the different product testing and requirements and health and safety in China that you would if you're being represented domestically in packaging. You can just ship it from Hong Kong or from you know Tokyo or even from the US into that market. That's what we call cross-border. 
And so, but that, but that can be still be very expensive. It might cost you over a hundred thousand dollars to set up a, you know, flagship cross-border T-Mall store in China. And so I, again, I think you just have to, A, you have to know what you're doing, but B, there has to be like a pretty compelling event. I had talked to a ton of brands that are like, oh, let's just try to see it, throw it up and see what sticks. And I'm like, you think it's hard to be buried on the second page of Amazon search results. Wait till you get to China and there's like a billion people searching for stuff and you're on page like 200. Like it's not enough to just show up. You actually have to have a both an online and an offline activation strategy to be yeah. successful in that market. Um, yeah, basically all I heard it through that was you guys are light years ahead of everyone else. That's, <laughs> that's like, uh, I don't think anyone I've ever talked to and I've you know, had hundreds of conversations really takes China seriously. And yeah. it sounds like, you know, uh, having employees on the ground is just a starting point. Yes. Um, and here's a question. Uh, uh, have you, with this entry point that you guys have in, um, have any other Amazon-centric brands uh, reached out to you guys? Uh, like, say, like an aggregator, it'd be like, hey, like, you guys actually have figured out China. Like, um, uh, do you get in those types of uh, conversations? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't happen as regularly as it did probably even six months ago, uh, but it still does happen. And we just tell everyone no, basically. I mean, we kind of see- Well, these aggregators are full of uh, brands manufactured in China. And you're like, you guys have nothing new that this market doesn't like already has what you have. Well, not only that, I think it's just more like a strategic decision of like how in bed with your quote unquote enemies or frenemies do you want to be? In some cases, by accelerating a brand in China from an aggregator, like we potentially see that they're they're not truly the brand. I mean, they're the brand owners because they bought the brands, but they're not like truly a brand that we're partnering with to go into market. But we see that even with existing brands that are like really want to go to China. And the first question I usually ask when someone's like, I really want to go into China is like, are you ready to lose money for five years? And that really shapes the conversation of like, oh, this isn't just like free, easy money. It's like an investment that's going to pay off over a long period of time. Now, there are almost every brand we take to China starts making a bunch of money. But I, I think it's more the principle of are you looking for a quick, easy win? Because doing regulatory, doing animal testing, doing all the stuff that's often required to get into a market that complex and that big, paying $100,000 for a T-Mall flagship store, like, Doing all that is very uh, involved. And, and so, again, even if you say, like, have you done a competitive analysis or a landscape or, or done your pricing for the region? And they're like, what does that mean? It, it automatically shows you, like, oh, you're probably not really serious. You're, like, kind of putting your toe in the water versus you made a, a board-level strategic commitment um, to opening up this region or accelerating this region, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I love this conversation. I, I mean, I... I don't expect many uh, listeners to like uh, roll out into like JD.com or like into China, but just hearing this, hearing the complexities. um, We know a few of these, you know, like if you've gone into Europe, um, but uh, it's just, it's really cool. So um, one of the things that connected uh, us is that you guys uh, pattern is putting on a big event um, here in Salt Lake. And I'll, I'll give full disclosure, you know, Smart Scout, actually we are, uh, you know, helping sponsor it. 
on the, our, you know, we're the, we're the lowest tier sponsor, but like, we'll be there. <laughs> um, so I love it. It's in my, it's, it's my hometown. And so, um, but tell us about the inception of this idea and, um, uh, and, and what you think most people can gain out of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the inception of the idea was we were going to a lot of shows ourselves, whether it's Prosper or Shop Talk or, you know, we're kind of running the circuit as well. And I just felt like so many of those conferences were based on, you know, this isn't necessarily bad. It's not like a flawed strategy, but they were based on, you know, trying to have like just an inundate you with a ton of people. It wasn't really, from our perspective, content focused. It wasn't experience focused. It wasn't learning focused. It was very much like connection and trade show and sponsors and booths and uh, get wasted at the bar and, and like all that sort of stuff. It was like that experience. And so we just thought, you know, and I'm sure you feel this as, as well. Like I'm talking to so many mind blowing, smart people every day. And they're just blowing my mind about the space or about Amazon or about, you know, seller central or about, you know, advertising or whatever it looks like. And we just wanted to create a space where the very best and the brightest, because at some level we're, we're like, we're not competitors. We're all in this together. And there are people that are building tech platforms. There are people that are offering services. There are people that are doing, uh, you know, everything from like market share to digital shelf to, you know, whatever it looks like. And it's like, is there a space for all of these people to come together and learn from each other and learn from the best and brightest? And so that's what it was. And, and so that's basically the whole track is not a lot of, you know, kind of like networking opportunities and after hour stuff, it truly is pretty regimented um, speaking sessions and hearing from, I mean, Amazon will be speaking, Walmart will be speaking, um, Mercado Libre will be speaking, Alibaba will be speaking, the North Face, Stance, like all well, these um, awesome brands are going to be chatting. Yeah, yeah, you you have, uh, I actually think a very, you know, unique and different mix of speakers, some big names, Um uh, before I go, I tell you who I'm interested in listening to. Um, uh, you're actually going to be presenting, I believe. Uh, but who are you most excited to uh, listen to? Oh my gosh! Like I have been uh, totally man crushing on Jimmy Chin forever. Um, obviously, he's like you know National Geographic photographer. He's an elite athlete. If you follow him on Instagram, it's just like a joy to see all the places around the world. I watch Miru. I watch uh, Free Solo. I mean, it's just like his craft and his expertise. And he, you know, you wouldn't normally think of him like e-commerce. Like he doesn't necessarily come to mind. But again, the whole concept, the com, you know, accelerationsummit.com. It's accelerate is the name of the conference, and it's all about accelerating people in their lives. And I look at someone like him and what he's been able to do, accelerate his own career, the people he's surrounded himself with and accelerating their career. So I'm, I'm super excited uh, for someone like Jimmy Chin, but I'm also, you know, I don't have like a big speaking slot. I'm probably speaking for like 10 minutes or something like that and kind of introing other people. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the, what I'm most excited about is just hearing from these folks and learning about what makes them tick and how do they get into you know, influencer marketing or how did they get into logistics or how did, you know, like what has been their journey and what are the biggest things that they're learning that they can share back to the audience. And in theory, if you attend this, this conference and you, you know, a couple of days in you're, you, you go back home, you should have way more connections and super smart people that you can lean on and call on uh, to solve your toughest challenges. And you should leave feeling crazy inspired and crazy, like 
supported, I guess, as well. Like you should feel like, oh my gosh, I can go do this. Cause it's hard. It's lonely. Uh, you, you know how it is. Like it, it can be incredibly difficult and challenging world to be in because it feels so cutthroat. It feels so, you know, like you just run into dead ends all the time. And so I think having a community that can rally around you and, and, you know, accelerate you to do your best work is exactly what this conference is about. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm super excited. You got, you guys got Neil Patel. Um, he's, uh, you know, definitely a a keynote speaker in most places that he goes, I listen to his podcast. Uh, so, but like Jimmy Chin, uh, Neil Patel, Kristen Bell, like, and the list goes on. There are some really big recognizable brands. Um, and I, like, like I said, like, I'm just excited. It's in my backyard. So, um, and um, I believe, yes, we do. We actually have a, we have a coupon code that people can use. Um, it's just Smart Scout. If you use Smart Scout uh, on the checkout page, um, I believe there still are tickets available. So um, uh, I'd, I'd try and get you know, your tickets soon. Uh, it might sell out right before. So uh, things always tick up a lot in the days leading up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you guys are creating something really unique and I, uh, you guys uh, are putting uh, a big foot forward into this. So, um, yeah, yeah. And, and truly, this is not a pattern conference. Like our CEO is the only person speaking truly like with a slot. Uh, all the other breakouts, all the other mainstays, like you're not going to hear it from pattern. So it's definitely not a commercial for pattern at all. In fact, we, we distance ourselves and didn't create like a user summit for that reason, because in theory, in a couple of years, we may not even speak at all. It should just be like the premier kind of like conference where the best and the brightest minds and the companies um, and even some of our own competitors are, are kind of quote unquote on full display of sharing the very best, uh, latest and, uh, and most innovative strategies to accelerate brands on global e-commerce. I love that. I mean, like this conversation alone, I think, you know, to anyone listening was proof that like you'll stand to gain a lot. Uh, this is a different flavor than most of our, our conversations, you know, because I mean, you guys, uh, you guys turn away brand partnerships of people that like, you know, do less than, a, you know, four or five million on Amazon. You're like, oh, that's not, you know, that's not exciting for us. <laughs> you guys are like, so um, th- that alone should, should say a lot. But um, John, uh, thank you so much for coming and talking about everything. And, uh, you know, even opening up, uh, what makes, you know, the success that pattern has today. Um, <clears throat> uh, one thing I like to ask us before uh, we close out is if you have any uh, smart hacks in either life or business. Oh my gosh. Uh, this is, this is a smart, smart hack for a dumb guy. Um, but I would just say surrounding yourself with, amazing and brilliant people is like to me the hack and it sounds so trite but it's like we all have a limited amount of time we never know when we're going to go and you know you really are a product of the people that you surround yourself with and so i remember having a conversation with dave when i joined the company and i just told him listen like i'm coming here to work for you i want to grow i want to learn from you you're an incredibly talented entrepreneur um, and a great leader but you know, if for some reason, like, it doesn't matter how much you pay me, it doesn't matter what stock options you throw my way. Like I, life is too short for me to sit around and work for people that I don't respect. 
And as long as you, you know, continue to inspire me and like, just be a good, solid human being, well, like I will give you the very best years of my career. Uh, these are the best years of my life right now that I have to give to someone. And if I'm not giving them myself starting my own company, I'm going to give them to someone that I really can get behind. And, you know, to his credit, he has done it. I mean, I was on a red eye flight with him out on Sunday night and he got home 2 a.m. We both got home, you know, so it's like he's putting in the work. He's hustling. He's not coasting. He, he, he's there every single day and he's a genuinely like a good you know, human being. And so those are exactly the sorts of people uh, that I, I want to be able to like wear out my life and do the best work in my career with. So it's, it's a, it's a trite hack, but it's a very smart hack. And it's, it's just like brought me so much joy wow. to surround myself with these smart people. I love it. I love it. You know, uh, I mean, that's, that's like for every stage of life, you know, even if you're in high school or college, like the people that oh, you're yeah. spending your time around, you're going to gravitate, you're going to be motivated to what they're motivated. So I love it. Um, Actually, I didn't mention the, uh, the so the, the summit is, uh, sorry, the uh, conference that uh, we were talking about is ex the Accelerate Summit. It's accelerationsummit.com. So yeah. that's, if you guys want to join, I'll be there. Uh, John will be there. And uh, there, it, it's going to be awesome. Like, that's, all, that's all I'm going to say. Um, and so check out the site. Um, thank you so much, John, for coming on. And um, uh, so to all those listening, uh, make sure, you know, you do the usual. If you, if you like this podcast, please share it with people that uh, you think might be interested. So uh, we'll end there and uh, stay tuned until next week. One, two, three. Yeah.